You're listening to the Good News in a Dark World podcast. Join us as we study God's Word and discover Jesus on every page. Here's Pastor Kevin. Please take your Bibles and turn to uh, Revelation chapter 3. Last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 3. We were in Revelation this morning and we are in Revelation again tonight because we won't see the book of Revelation in all likelihood again until February. So Revelation chapter 3, finishing uh, the seven letters that Jesus writes to local churches in Asia Minor. And this is the one to the church in Laodicea. This may be perhaps the most uh, well-known of the letters and uh, not for really a good reason. Revelation 3, uh, beginning at verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel to you, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich in white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, the seventh and final letter that Jesus writes to these churches is the most disturbing. With all of the the previous six, Jesus at least had something positive to say. Ephesus was um, orthodox in their theology. They didn't put up with um, false teachers. Smyrna, even though they were heavily persecuted and suffering economically, was a faithful church that was spiritually rich. Pergamum was faithful in their witness, in their evangelism. Thyatira was a church that was strong in their love for one another and serving one another. Sardis, even though it was a church that was uh, in danger of dying, you remember still had some members who were faithful. And Philadelphia, although apparently very weak and unimpressive, was a, a very faithful congregation who would not deny the name of Jesus. But then there's Laodicea. You will search in vain to find anything positive that Jesus says about this church. Now that doesn't mean that all hope is lost. There is still hope for this church and that's what we want to see tonight. We want to see Jesus calling this lukewarm church back to himself. And if the Lord needs to use his word and spirit tonight to convict us of our lukewarmness, we pray that he would do that. Or if he needs to comfort us and encourage us with something, we pray that he would do that this evening. But as we've done with the first six, we're going to do the same thing with the seventh. We're going to see three things. First of all, Jesus is described. Secondly, the church is examined. And third, a promise is given. 
Laodicea was um, 35 miles, 40 miles southeast of Philadelphia. It was at the very bottom of the horseshoe that I mentioned to you this morning. It was a very wealthy city, a very influential city. In fact, the, the city of Laodicea was so wealthy that even after the city was almost completely destroyed by an earthquake, there's another earthquake in Asia Minor, in 60 AD, the, the city of Laodicea needed no help to rebuild their city. That was almost unheard of in that day. They didn't have to go to Rome and ask for help. They rebuilt the whole thing on their own. Now, a couple of other things to, to keep in mind about Laodicea, both of which Jesus kind of refers to in this letter. First of all, Laodicea had a very well-known medical school. And that medical school produced a, an eye ointment, an eye salve that was used all throughout the region. Secondly, Laodicea also had terrible drinking water, terrible. One author describes the drinking water in Laodicea as nauseous and undrinkable. And because of that, they had to get their water from another source. So keep both of those things in mind. Laodicea produced an eye salve, and Laodicea had horrible drinking water. Keep those things in mind as we work our way through this letter. Now, Jesus, first of all, is described. You'll notice verse 14 says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. One of the things that I love and appreciate about these seven letters is, is how they describe Jesus. These, are, these letters are teaching us, and I hope you have been learning, things that are very significant about Christ. Very important for us, even living all these years after these letters were written, very important for us to understand. First of all, Jesus is the amen. Now, children, you know that uh, usually at the end of our prayers, whether here in church or school or home, at the end of our prayers, we end them with the word amen. It's a very familiar word, but, but what exactly does the word amen mean? Well, very simply, the word amen means this is sure to be. This is sure to be. And so when Jesus says that he is the amen, he's making the point that everything he says is absolutely sure and absolutely true. All that Jesus says is totally reliable. When he examines the church in Laodicea, all that he says is absolute truth. We, we can't say to Jesus, well, that's your opinion. That's your view. What Jesus says is absolute, total truth. That's what it means when he says that he is the amen. Now, secondly, it also says, or Jesus says, that he is the faithful and true witness. This is kind of a repetition of what he means by saying that he is the amen. It's very, very similar. And again, a reminder that he speaks complete truth. The church in Laodicea had a certain view of themselves. They, they viewed themselves a, a certain way. And we'll look at this in more detail in a moment. But, but they thought that they were pretty hot stuff. This was a church that thought they had it all together. They didn't really need anything or anyone. But the one who is the faithful and true witness speaks the truth about this church's condition. And this is why we need to let, allow 
the word of God to examine our congregation. Now the fact of the matter is that when we look at these seven churches, they're all different. We, we've seen this throughout these seven letters. What, what was weak in Ephesus was not weak in Thyatira. What Pergamum struggled with, Smyrna did not struggle with. But, but all that this book says is absolute truth. Absolutely reliable. And so we always need to examine the life and the ministry of a church in light of what is written on these pages. Because this is absolute truth. Jesus is the faithful and true witness. And then third, Jesus is the beginning of God's creation. Now you might think that this is rather problematic. You might think, does this mean that um, Jesus was the first of God's creation? That's what Jehovah's Witnesses teach, right? That, that Jesus is the highest created being of God. And by the way, th this is also becoming popular among many evangelicals today, to think this, or at least to state it. I mentioned to you this morning the, the survey by Ligonier Ministries. Another one of the, the statements in that survey is this. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Agree or disagree? Now that statement is fourth century Arianism. That's why the Council of Nicaea had to meet. That's why the Nicene Creed was written. That's why we confess the Nicene Creed tonight. Because the Nicene Creed was written to make the point that Jesus is not the first and greatest created being of God. Jesus Christ is eternal God. We confessed that earlier. How many evangelicals of those surveyed, how many evangelicals do you think agreed with the statement that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God? 70% agreed with that statement. 70% are essentially modern-day Arians. Brothers and sisters, that's heresy. That's not just, you know, having a debate about infant baptism. That's not just having a debate about end times. That's heresy. If it's true that, that, that Jesus is not God, then we are still dead in our sins. And so Jesus says that I am the beginning of God's creation. And, and maybe, again, we think that that makes it seem as if Jesus was created by God. But here's what we have to understand about this phrase. This word that is translated beginning here means origin or source. In other words, by saying that he is the, the beginning of God's creation, Jesus is saying he is the source of creation. He is the originator of creation. This is simply an echo of what John says in John 1.3. says, through Jesus all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Colossians 1 verse 16, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. 
Don't buy into the lie that Jesus is the greatest and first created being by God. He himself is eternal God. And so we put these three things together, and what we are being told is that there is no one more truthful, no one more powerful, no one more glorious than the Lord Jesus Christ. We can trust him to tell us the truth, and we must submit to all that he says. We don't have to wonder if Jesus is, is telling us the truth, or maybe it's not genuine. He always speaks the truth. And again, the church in Laodicea needed to hear this. They needed to hear that the one who was examining them was God himself. And that he always speaks the truth. And now, this one who is the amen, this one who is the faithful and true witness, this one who is the beginning or the source or the originator of all of creation, examines this church and he sees two things. First of all, he sees in Laodicea a spiritual apathy. Look at verse 15. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. Now, children, what does that mean? What does that mean that Jesus wishes this church was either cold or hot? Well, this is why we have to understand the, the geography of Laodicea. I mentioned to you earlier that the drinking water in Laodicea was disgusting. You wouldn't want to drink it. They couldn't drink it. And, and so they had to pipe their water in from an aqueduct that was about five miles from the city. Now, in contrast to Laodicea, there were two cities in that region that had great water. Six miles to the north was a city called Heropolis. Heropolis was a, a well-known place that had hot springs where the water reached a temperature of about 95 degrees. Perfect water, perfect temperature on a cold night. 11 miles to the east was the city of Colossae. That's where the book of Colossians was written. And, and Colossae had a, had a mountain-fed stream that provided clean, cold, delicious drinking water. The water of Heropolis and the water of Colossae were, were both very useful. They, they provided benefits to those around them. And, and we understand this. If, if it gets hot, and it does get hot here on a, on a summer day, we want something that is ice cold. If it gets cold, wintertime maybe, we want something warm to drink. Heropolis provided hot water. Colossae provided cold water. The Laodicean water was terrible. Even the water they had piped in, by the time it reached them, it was lukewarm. What about the church in Laodicea? Look at verse 16. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The church was just like that water that was piped in. It wasn't really useful for much of anything. Lukewarm water isn't very good. If, if it's a hot day and, and, and you get a glass of lukewarm water, it's not very helpful in cooling you off. If it's 38 degrees outside and, and you want something warm to drink and somebody gives you a lukewarm cup of coffee, that's not very good. That doesn't do you any good. It doesn't help you. That's how Jesus views the church in Laodicea. You're not very helpful. You're not very beneficial. The church wasn't useful. The church wasn't hot like Heropolis. It wasn't cold like Colossae. Now certainly this, this spiritual lukewarmness 
shows itself in, in kind of a spiritual apathy, doesn't it? Just kind of, you know, going through the motions. We, we, we put the Christian life on cruise control, and we just go. We come to church Sunday morning, we, we sing a few hymns, we listen to a sermon, we go home, maybe we come back Sunday night, maybe we attend a Bible study, uh, maybe we read our Bibles and pray, but when we, when we examine our lives, we see that, that we're on cruise control. We see that we're just going through the motions. It's a dangerous place to be because Jesus says, that makes me want to vomit. Makes me want to spew you out of my mouth. It raises the question, how does a church become like this? How do Christians become like this? How do we, how do we get to the place in the Christian life where we would just see ourselves going through the motions? Perhaps we've all seen it at some point in our lives. Perhaps we see it right now in our lives. How do we get to that place where, where we're just on cruise control? Well, I think it's caused by the second thing that Jesus sees. He examines his church, and he sees, first of all, spiritual apathy. But this spiritual apathy is caused by the second thing that he sees, and that is spiritual pride. Look at verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. The church in Laodicea mirrored the city. Remember what I told you at the beginning. I told you at the beginning that Laodicea was an extremely wealthy city financially. Even when their city was almost wiped out by an earthquake, they didn't need any help. We don't need Rome. We don't need the government. We can do it ourselves. The same attitude was found in the church. We're good. We don't need any help. We don't need anything. We don't need anyone. This was a church that had forgotten that all that they had and all that they were came from God's gracious hand. This is how you become spiritually lukewarm. You, you forget just how dependent upon the Lord you really are. This coming Thursday, of course, is Thanksgiving Day. And we're thankful that, that our nation has a day that we can set aside to think about, to reflect on, to meditate on all that God has given to us. And, and as Christians, we, we have that, that benefit of knowing who it comes from. And it's a day, again, to reflect on the fact that God is the one who has given us all these things. And whatever blessings the Laodicean Christians had received, they seemed to have forgotten that God was the one who gave it all to them. They seemed to think that they had these things because of who they were, because of what they had done. Take your Bibles and go back to the Old Testament to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible right after the book of Numbers. Deuteronomy chapter 8. In Deuteronomy 8, um, God is giving Israel, he's giving his people a warning. It's a warning that the church in Laodicea would have been wise to pay attention to, and it's a, it's a warning that we would be wise to pay attention to as well. Look at verse 11 of Deuteronomy 8. 
Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, notice, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. God says, don't forget. Don't forget who gave you all of this. Laodicea, it seems, had forgotten. Laodicea was a a church that was really impressed with itself. It was a church that was um, self-sufficient. It was proud, didn't need anyone, didn't need anything. Now here's the question for us tonight. Is, is this a danger that is perhaps likely to be found in American churches today? Let's be even more blunt. Is this a danger that Zion can be particularly prone to. We sit here tonight in a a beautiful sanctuary. After 12 years, I'm I'm used to this sanctuary, but when I first came here, it was June of 2010. I came in, I met Wilma for the first time, and she brought me in here, and I was stunned. Beautiful facility. We've added on to this facility a few years ago. There's no debt on anything. The giving is extremely generous. You are extremely generous. Missionaries' funds are full, overflowing. Have we forgotten? Are we tempted to say, you know what, we don't need anything. We're good. We got this. I said this last week, and I'll say it again tonight. I'm not drawing any conclusions here. I'm not saying that this is a a church filled with spiritually lukewarm people. All I'm saying is that we must never forget. And what I'm saying is that we need to let the word of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, we need to let his word examine us in our hearts. What is our posture before the Lord? What is my posture before him? Are we as a church self-satisfied, self-sufficient? We're good. We've done all this. Am I as a Christian self-satisfied and self-sufficient? Or do I see how weak and helpless I really am? Interesting, isn't it, how the, the seven letters ends, right? It's, it's kind of the same message to Philadelphia. Philadelphia knew how weak they were. Laodicea, it seems, 
had forgotten. Jesus looks at this church in Laodicea and he sees spiritual apathy. He sees spiritual pride. And and notice what he says in verse 17. It says, for you say, I'm rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. That's their assessment of themselves. We got this all together. But here's the truth. Jesus says, you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Church in Laodicea, you think you have it all together? You think, you, you think you've done all of this? You think you're self-sufficient? You think you don't have any needs? Well, let me tell you your true condition. Let me tell you how wretched and pitiable and poor and blind and naked you are. Brothers and sisters, apart from Jesus, this is who and what we are. Apart from Jesus Christ, we are wretched and poor and helpless. Now, one of the things I love about these letters is that at this point, I don't have to say to you, let's pray. And we sing a hymn and go home. What I love about these letters is that they show to us the love and the compassion that Jesus has for his church. The love and compassion Jesus has for Laodicea, the love and compassion Jesus has for Zion. Jesus doesn't just diagnose the problem in the church. Jesus doesn't just say, here's your problem. Now you need to go figure out how to deal with it. He doesn't do that. He gives instruction on how the church is to move forward. And also, you know, when, when there are problems in a church, I love the fact that Jesus doesn't say, you know what, I'm done with you. Sardis, you're just about dead, I'm done. Laodicea, you are a bunch of lukewarm Christians, I'm done. Enough of your tired act. He graciously calls the church back to himself. Look at verse 19. It's what Jesus does. He says, those whom I love... I reprove and I discipline, so be zealous and repent. Church in Laodicea, I I love you. And because I love you, I must show you your true condition and call you back to myself. In spite of all of their problems, in spite of their spiritual pride and spiritual apathy, Jesus still loves this church. He still desires fellowship with this church. He says in verse 20, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. We need to put away from ourselves any attitude of self-sufficiency and self-reliance and recognize just how much we need the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if we examine our lives and we see spiritual apathy and spiritual pride are starting to creep in, Jesus gives us perfectly wise instruction as to what we should do. It comes in verse 18. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve, there's the salve, to anoint your eyes so that you may see. This is very simply a call to run to Jesus. It's a call to run to Christ. It's a call to recognize that that true meaning and true riches and true fulfillment are only found in him. 
Gold refined by fire. In other words, an inheritance that doesn't spoil. White garments, not not covered in the nakedness of our sin, but covered in spotless robes. The great exchange, right, that the choir sang of this morning. An eye salve to cure our blindness. Where can we buy these things? Where can we find them? Where can we find an eternal inheritance? Where can we find spotless garments? Where can we find this this eye salve? There's only one place. And Jesus tells us, he says, buy these things from me. But we got a problem. How can we buy these things when we are poor? Children, let's say um, tomorrow you get a craving for a king-size Snickers bar. And you got no money. And you walk into Walgreens or CVS or Save Mart and, and you go to the store manager and you go, hey, I would really like a king-size Snickers, but I don't have any money. That manager is going to send you on your way. They're not going to give you a candy bar. You have to have money to buy things. And so when Jesus says, come and, and buy these things from me, initially that sounds great, but then it sets in, I'm poor. I got nothing. I can't buy these things from Jesus. What hope do I have? What hope do I have to, to get uh, a gold refined by fire and white garments and eye salve if I have nothing to purchase them with? This is where we need to remember the gospel. This is where we need to know our Bibles. Take your Bible one more time. Go to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55. One of the great, great passages in all of Scripture. Isaiah 55. Notice verse 1. Come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. I've got no money. I've got no ability to buy these things. But God says, come and buy without money and without price. Here's what this means. You don't have to clean up your life first before you come to Jesus. You don't have to spend X number of years memorizing something before you come to Jesus. You don't have to do so many good works. You don't have to know the right people. It's free. It's free. All you have to do is recognize your helpless condition before God and cry out to him to save you and he will. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. 
but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. When you recognize and when I recognize that spiritual apathy and pride setting in, don't try to make yourself better. Run to Jesus and he will give you what you need. He ends this letter with a promise. It's verse 21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. One day we will sit on the throne of Christ. I confess to you tonight, I don't know what that means. I don't know all that that will entail. But I do know it's far better than anything in this life. I do know it's far better than sitting in the Oval Office. I do know it's far better than sitting on the Supreme Court. You and I will sit on the throne with Jesus. That's what awaits you, Christian. You have an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. It's kept, it's reserved, it's guaranteed in heaven for you. Let's finish these seven letters tonight and just boil it down very, very simply. I like simplicity. We all can understand it. When it comes to the ministry here at Zion, are we the we-need-nothing church? Or are we the we-need-Jesus and we need him desperately church? Which one are we? Apart from him, we are nothing. Apart from him, this ministry is nothing. Apart from him, we can do nothing. The church in Philadelphia, the church we looked at this morning, understood that. The church in Laodicea did not. Which one are we? Are, the, are we the we need nothing church? I want to hope and pray, and I don't think we are. Or are we the we need Jesus, and we really need him church? May that be the case for us. Let's pray. Father, this is a difficult letter. It's a letter that exposes our own struggle with spiritual apathy and spiritual pride. Help us, Lord, as individual Christians to run to Christ, to find meaning and fulfillment in him. Help us, Lord, as we continue the ministry here at Zion to recognize that same thing, that we are not the we-need-nothing church. We need Jesus. We need him desperately. Help us, Lord, to rely upon him and help us in all things to promote him and the good news that he saves. Use us, Lord, as a church to bring glory and honor. 
If you've been blessed by this podcast and would like to support this ministry, you can find us at www.goodnewsinadarkworld.com. Thank you for listening.